0: Today we have two readings. First reading is from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 3 The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor The next reading is from Luke chapter 7 verses 18 to 35. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come or should we accept someone else? When the men came to, the, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come or should we accept someone else? At the very time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A wreath swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, Who who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I'll tell you, among those born of women, this there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the task tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the expert in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves, because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, "'To what then can I compare the people of this generation?' What are they like they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each out to each other we played the pipe for you and you did not dance we sang a dirge and you did not cry for john the baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon the son of man came eating and drinking and you say he is glutton and a drunk drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children.
1: For those who don't know me, my name's Darren. I'm a member here. Good morning. A couple of months ago in the United States, a congressional hearing was held to investigate the claims of a whistleblower stating that the United States government and its agencies had been involved in a massive cover-up to hide the existence of aliens from other planets. A former US intelligence officer, David Grouch, claimed under oath that the US government was harboring intact and partially intact, which I assume means broken, uh, aliens and extraterrestrial spacecraft. Now, I heard about this on a podcast produced by Christianity Today, and as one might expect, they didn't give a lot of credence to the idea But they did ask a really interesting question, and that is, if you were confronted with absolute proof of alien life on other planets and other solar systems, how would it affect your faith in God? Now, I'm not here to talk about the possibility of alien life this morning. You don't have to phone home. I don't expect we need to be too much concerned about an invasion from E.T. and his friends. But in the story we've just read from Luke's Gospel, we see someone whose expectations don't seem to match the reality of the situation and whose faith has been rocked by that. And this isn't just some random character. This is John the Baptist. If you had a, a list of who's who in the Bible, he, he's pretty near the top. He's one of the more important guys we, we meet. So what's going on? We'll get to that. But first, a quick recap from last week when we looked at the start of chapter 7. We've just seen Jesus perform two miracles. He healed a centurion's servant without even seeing the servant. He just said, he's healed. It's done. And he raised a widow's son from the dead. Now, they're two pretty big miracles. And they show that Jesus has both the power and the authority over sickness and death. And last week, we finished with the words... This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So that brings us to today's reading. John's disciples told told him all about these things, so the miracles, and calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to say, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? That's a bit odd, really. I mean, this is John the Baptist we're talking about. This is Jesus' cousin, And for those who don't know much about John the Baptist, his birth was foretold by an angel. And not many people get that. This is what the angel told John's father before he was born He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. John's entire ministry was centered around his role as the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. A little bit later we read the people were were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if the hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John was preparing the way for someone who would come after him. And John was the one himself who baptised Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, John was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on on him, Jesus, in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Of all the people we meet in the New Testament, John should have recognized Jesus as the coming Messiah. But what does he ask? Are you the one who is to come? Or should I expect someone else? Now before we get into John's head here, let's look at Jesus' answer because like most of the things Jesus says, it's probably important. He replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor this is jesus's ministry and in chapter 4 of luke jesus speaks in the synagogue and he quotes the passage from Isaiah we read earlier unrolling the scroll that is what it says yes unrolling the scroll jesus found the place where it's written the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was saying then, and he's saying to John in in a reading today, this is about me, this passage is about me, this is my task to preach good news, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to make the blind see, to set the oppressed free. And that's what I'm doing, John. Can you see that? But there's one minor detail I haven't told you about John's life yet. It comes way back in chapter 3. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. John the Baptist, this guy whose job it is to prepare the way for the Messiah, who would set the prisoners free, is currently in prison. And that's where he stays until his execution. Now perhaps John, like many of Jesus' followers, Misunderstood Jesus' mission. They were expecting a Messiah messiah who would break the power of the Roman oppression and bring back real political power for the Jews. After all, the Messiah would usher in the kingdom of God. They were expecting an earthly kingdom. And when Jesus said that he would proclaim freedom for the captives, John's like, hey, that's me, over here. But Jesus doesn't seem to fulfill their expectations. It's a pretty understandable misunderstanding. And it doesn't really take a lot of imagination to see why John may have thought that he backed the wrong horse. And if we're honest, maybe we can be a bit like that sometimes. A bit over 20 years ago, my mum collapsed of a brain aneurysm. And as she was in hospital, in ICU, on life support, we prayed for a miracle. She never recovered. After she died, my brother kept praying that she would be raised from the dead. It didn't happen. Why? Why was that? Why didn't God answer our prayers? Jesus has power over sickness and power over death. Why didn't he heal my mum? Some of you will remember Steph. Steph a young lady working as a missionary um, in Afghanistan from this church who died of cancer a few years ago. We've prayed for healing. Why didn't God heal her? Jesus has power over cancer. Why didn't that happen? I'm sure many of us have similar stories and some of us are going through battles like this right now. And we keep praying for sickness to be healed, for the blind to see, for the deaf to hear, for the oppressed to be freed... And sometimes it just doesn't seem like God's answering our prayers. At times like these, it's really easy for us to feel what John may have been feeling, sitting alone in prison with no hope of release. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? I'm going to come back to this a little bit later on. But notice in Jesus' answer... He doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't say, just, you know, you should know better. Come on. You're John the Baptist. What are you doing? At the same time, he doesn't respond with platitudes either. Just have faith. Let go and let God. Jesus isn't offended by John's question. Instead, he he tells John's disciples to return to John and tell him what they had seen and heard. Because the dead were being raised, the sick were being healed, captives were being freed. These were the signs that the time of God's kingdom had begun and the evidence that Jesus was indeed the one who was to come. It's just that they weren't happening perhaps in the way that John expected. Jesus says to John, Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me when we're able to see past our preconceived notions of how God should act in our circumstances and let God be God, when we can give him the glory even through our pain and grief, when we can accept that we're merely human and say, not my will, God, but your will be done. Jesus says that blessings will come. The kicker is, of course, we need to be careful not to allow our preconceived notions of what those blessings might be cause us to miss them when they come. Let's continue in our passage. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did he go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Now, at first glance, it looks like Jesus is saying, you know, when you went out to see John, were you expecting someone insignificant, just a nobody? But I don't think that's what he's saying. You see, the Tetrarch, or ruler of the region of Galilee, was a guy named Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great, um, who ruled over Judea at the time of Jesus' birth. And when Herod the Great died in the year 4 AD, he divided his kingdom up among his three sons and his daughter. Uh, sorry, three sons and his sister. His youngest son, Herod Antipas, he was the guy who had John the Baptist in jail. Now, Antipas would look out over the Sea of Galilee and he'd see the reeds swaying in the breeze, and he saw that as a symbol of the fertility of the land. And so he used reeds as a symbol of his reign, indicating for this fertility. Now, some of us might be able to remember way back, many years ago, before COVID, when we used a thing called cash to pay for things. Remember that? Yeah. We had coins. We still have coins, I know. And on the, on the back of the coins, you'd see symbols, a, a platypus, coat of arms, lyrebird, that sort of thing. Herod Antipas also had a symbol on the coins that were minted during his reign. On one side was a laurel wreath. And on the other side, he had a picture of a reed. But because Herod Antipas had a bit of a reputation among the locals as a political waverer, there's thought that he he probably had a nickname as, as a reed swaying in the wind. And it seems that Herod probably heard about this as well, because it wasn't long before he changed that symbol for one of a much sturdier palm tree. So you can't make this stuff up, can you? It's just crazy. Um, So when Jesus asked the crowd if they went to see a reed swayed by the wind, it's likely that he was asking them, were you looking for a new king? Another one like so-and-so down the road? And if they missed it the first time, he asks it again in a slightly different way. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. If you wanted to find a king, the desert wasn't a good place to go looking. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Ah, now we're getting closer. Yes, I tell you, a prophet, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. It's interesting that even though John may have wondered if Jesus was the one who was to come, Jesus had absolutely no doubt that John was the one who would prepare the way for him. Continues, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John is that messenger who went ahead of the Messiah. And although he's merely a herald and a precursor to the Messiah, Jesus insists that he's the greatest person ever to have lived up to that time. This is because John had the unique privilege of announcing the arrival of God's God's final salvation. But despite this, Jesus says that John is also the least in the kingdom of God. Because everything's changing. The age of promise is giving way to the age of fulfillment. When God's people will receive complete forgiveness of their sins and will now truly know God through his spirit we then get a little insight into the thoughts of the crowd Jesus takes the reader aside and says all the people even the tax collectors when they heard Jesus words acknowledged that God's way was right because they'd been baptized by John but the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's message God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John Now the Pharisees and the experts in the law were expecting a coming Messiah. Absolutely they were. But their preconceived notions of what that idea would be, what that Messiah should be, meant that when Jesus came, they missed it. Not only did they they not recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah, they didn't recognize John as the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And this plays out in the last section that we read read today. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. You say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say here is a glutton. And a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We get this this picture of of Jesus and John being on a stage, and all the Pharisees and legal experts are what in the audience watching. And John acts out a funeral, saying, Life is hard and doom is at hand. And the crowd says, Boo. We don't want to hear that. So Jesus acts out a wedding, saying, Life is a celebration. And the crowd says, boo, we don't want that. Jesus is saying here, it's not the messengers you're rejecting. It's actually the message. The Pharisees and legal experts judged Jesus through their expectations and they missed the reality of what was happening. And that still happens today. People judge Jesus by their expectations of who they think he should be how they think Christians should behave. And instead of pausing and looking into the evidence of Jesus' life and allowing themselves to see the reality of God's kingdom, they miss it. Jesus wants to say to you today, don't miss it. Don't let your preconceived ideas of who God is or how he should act or how he should answer your prayers get in the way of seeing him for who he really is. How do we do that? One way is to spend, the time, spend time reading the Bible. The Gospels in particular give us an insight into who Jesus was, what he cared about, and how he related to people. And knowing who Jesus is tells us who God is. As Stephen reminded us a couple of weeks ago um, in a story from John's Gospel where Jesus tells Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus doesn't ask for blind faith. He came to restore the sight of the blind and to make the deaf hear. And he tells John's disciples to report back to John the things they saw and heard. He wants John to put his faith in the facts, not the facts of his own situation, because they can change, but the facts of who Jesus is. One of my favourite passages in the Bible is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. These guys were in Babylon when the king when the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, or as my mother-in-law would say, King Nebuchadnezzar, set up a huge golden statue that everyone was supposed to worship. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to bow down to the statue and they continued to worship God instead. They were brought before the king who threatened that if they didn't bow down to the statue, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And this is how They replied, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. For those of you who don't know the story, they do get thrown into the fiery furnace, but they come out unscathed, and we're told that not even their clothes smelled of smoke. But I'm pretty sure that as they were being escorted to the furnace on their way to their intended deaths, they actually didn't know what way things would turn out. For all they knew, they were about to be burned alive. If their faith had been based in their circumstance, I expect that at this point they would have been questioning their life choices, wondering if God was real at all. But instead, the image we get is that these three guys have absolute confidence in their God and that they would be rescued from their situation even if that meant their deaths. Their faith was in something far more substantial. Death didn't have the final word. Their faith was rooted in knowing who their God was. 20 years ago, My mum died despite our prayers for her healing. But she died knowing God and known by God. By God's grace, her eyes had been opened to see Jesus. A few years ago, our friend Steph died of cancer. But she died with absolute certainty that her God had prepared a place for her. Her ears had been opened to the message of his kingdom. And her faith was in the facts of her salvation, not the transience of her circumstance. We live in this time of the now but not yet. One day when Jesus returns, the power of death and disease will be broken. And all will see and hear the true reality of God's kingdom. But until then, we live in the hope of that fulfilment. Now, we don't hear how John responded to Jesus' encouragement. Maybe his faith was strengthened. We hope that was the case, but that's not the story Luke's telling here. He's telling the story of how we need to have a clear vision of who God is. As we heard last week, Jesus is the one who has the authority and the power to save us from the eternal consequences of our sin. His love for humanity drove him to the cross where he died In our place. And he rose again as a promise that our death here in this life is not the end, but merely a step to the next life, eternal life with him. This is why Jesus, the Messiah, came to earth 2,000 years ago. This is who Jesus is. And as we see Jesus for who he really is, as we place more faith in the facts of true spiritual reality, and less faith in our current circumstances, we'll find that our doubts begin to fade away and our confidence in God will grow and that our faith will remain steady through the storms of this life and through any potential alien invasion. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your son as the promised Messiah. We thank you that through Jesus you have revealed yourself to us. And that through your Holy Spirit we can know you and that you know us. We thank you that we ask that you will open our eyes to see your works and open our ears to hear your voice. And that you will help us daily to place our faith in the fact of who you are and the fact of our salvation. Help us to submit our situations to your will, trusting in your goodness and love. Knowing that you will rescue us even through our sufferings and death. And we echo the cry of the saints down through the ages as we pray, come, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.